support for this podcast comes from Staffing Future. Nowadays, your recruitment website needs to do more than just validate your business. Websites are your digital front door, where new clients and great talent should come knocking. So do you want your recruitment website to stand out from the crowd, generate new business leads and placement revenue? If that's a yes, then talk to Staffing Future, the recruitment website and technology experts. Get a free website and technology stack review and competitor analysis today. Just visit staffingfuture.com slash rules. What great ideas are so close within your grasp? Seeing other points of view, anticipating change, considering multiple possible turnouts, acknowledging uncertainty, searching for compromise. We're going to talk about how to get over those limiters of innovation so that you can extract better thinking from yourself and your team. So let's talk about how to win the future. This is the Marketing Rules Podcast. Do you know the new rules of marketing? Here is your host, James Whitelock. Hi, and welcome back. Today's podcast is a little different in that it's the second part of a podcast I recorded with Chip Close, a restaurant marketeer from New York. The first part was recorded for Chip's own podcast, which is called The Restaurant Strategies. I suggest you all go check it out. But in this episode, I talked to Chip about his background, how he got into marketing, and his thoughts on the similarities between restaurant marketing and recruitment marketing. So welcome back, everybody, to the Marketing Rules podcast. Uh, and today's a little different. Um, this is actually the second part of a podcast that I recorded a couple of weeks ago with Chip Close, who is a marketeer in the great city of New York. Um, Chip works with um, restaurants and, uh, and kind of leisure establishments with their marketing. Um, and if you haven't kind of listened to the first part, well, you need to check out Chip's podcast, which is the Restaurant Strategy uh, podcast, and we'll include all of the links and all the um, in the show notes. But firstly, Chip, welcome to the Marketing Rules podcast. Uh, I'm thrilled to be here. I love how you uh, called me a marketeer because here in the United States, we're just called marketers. Uh, but I, I love the distinction. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I've never, I mean, I think there's even different spellings for it. I never get it right if it's a double E at the end or not. But, um, uh, <laughs> we, you know, it's a very kind of, it's very popular to be called a marketeer. I mean, I think because it's kind of, um, it's asexual. There's no kind of like, there's, it's kind of very just, you know, I think, uh, I think it's that kind of thing. I get called a marketeer all the time. I don't, I'm not sure if I'm, if I, if I approve or not, but I, I can't get away from it now. But, you know, you're now part of this club. You're, the mar- you're in the marketeer club. I'm glad to be part of the club for and also, sure. If you get three of you together, you can call yourself the three marketeers as well. You know, See? So. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Which is the reason to do it, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, Chip. So, on the on our previous podcast, you started off by asking me a little bit about my background and who I was, but we never got to talk about who you and and when your background. So, here it goes. Chip, please tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today, and and a little bit more about the business that you set up. It's uh, well, I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you having me on the show. I'm glad we could do this. Like you said, it's not quite an interview. At least it wasn't when we were on the Restaurant Strategy podcast. It was more of a conversation, just kind of talking shop and looking at the similarities and differences uh, between our two businesses, our two audiences, who we serve and, and how we do it. Uh, so I'm thrilled to be back here doing the second part. Um, 
my path has been kind of winding. Uh, we talked about this a little bit when I had you on uh, on my show. Mm. Uh, we both have a fine arts background. You went to art school. I went yep. to art school. Um, my trip uh, coming here uh, to marketing is is kind of an odd one, a, a tangled one. Um, I got my degree in theater. I came here to New York City to uh, pursue a career in the arts. Um, uh, and as luck would have it, this is what you do in New York City when uh, you're trying to make your way. Uh, you uh, end up waiting tables, which is which is what I did. Um, except when I got involved with it, um, I came to really enjoy it. Um, I came to learn a lot about uh, food and wine and, and hospitality. I worked in a lot of fine dining restaurants. And so I always like to say that uh, for the past 18 years, uh, I've had two parallel careers. Uh, one in the arts and the other in hospitality. And it wasn't until about 2014, 2015 that I started uh, finding a way to put them both together, that they they didn't just exist on uh, on different tracks. Um, I could I could put them together and bring the things I learned uh, from the theater world, you know, you know about uh, storytelling and, and and all of that and apply that. Uh, to the restaurant world, and uh, little did I know that that's what marketing is, right? <laughs> How do you tell compelling stories to sell products, to you know identify people who who need services? Um, and that that's what marketing boils down to. I mean, it really started off with like social media, honestly. Mm -hmm. In like 2014, 2015, Instagram, at least here in the United States, started blowing up, mm -hmm. uh, and especially when it uh, when it had to do with restaurants, um, you you had to be on Instagram. You had to have, you know, high quality photos of your food being posted consistently. And um, I, I've always been kind of an amateur photographer ever since I was in high school. And I, and I learned how to, you know, develop film and all that. And so it's always been a hobby. And I kind of said, uh, you know what, I can do that. So mm -hmm. I kind of willed myself into food photography. Uh, and that led me into taking on my own clients and what started as kind of social media grew from there, the more I learned about marketing and, you know, kind of all the digital tools available uh, to marketers or marketeers. And, um, and, and that's kind of where I landed. I've got my own company here, uh, a marketing agency, a consultancy here in New York city, where I work specifically with small business owners, with, uh, with restaurant owners, with chefs and managers uh, to help them kind of get their marketing uh, whipped into shape. It's a company that I've run since 2016, so now in the fourth year of it, um, and it's been going great. That's you know been the impetus for me to start the Restaurant Strategy Podcast and just keep going on. Um, I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, the just <laughs> getting getting that plug in. Um, the the parallels in our kind of background are kind of are uncanny, you know. Um, well, you know, so you you were in the kind of uh, in the arts. Were you an actor, or what was it you were doing when you uh, you were kind of in there? So I started off as many people do as an actor. Um, I discovered pretty quickly that um, that I didn't love it. Um, I loved the industry. I loved theater, um, but I didn't love that aspect of it. I didn't need to be you know actors who who need it. They they need to do that. They should do that. And I didn't need it in the same way. Uh, I worked a lot. I worked a lot pretty much straight through college when I was getting my degree. And uh, after graduating, I, I worked for a while and, and I quickly realized I was like, I don't think this is long term for me. Um, but I started exploring other sides of it, um, producing shows and directing and um, developing new works. And that eventually led me to write my own stuff, which is which is also pretty much what I do right now. Again, 
producing is is very similar to marketing to to you know to creating a business. Um, it's it's all kind of tangled. And I realized uh, I realized now in hindsight that um, that I wouldn't have been happy in that track. That mm-hmm. that by clicking over into directing, producing, writing, um, it's gotten me closer to the things that I'm really good at and the things that I'm really passionate about. And that's the same thing true with marketing. Um... I'm, so I'm going to I'm just going to stick with the theatre for a bit because that's fascinating, and we will get onto marketing in a minute. But um, did you was it you kind of targeted? You went to New York because of the theatre because that's my understanding is is New York is theatre, LA is the movies, right? And so you kind of you were you're a theatre actor. You are what we might class as a thespian. You know, I mean, are you a classic, <laughs> you know, a classically trained? I mean, have you have you ever done Shakespeare? I suppose that's the, the big question, isn't it? Really? No, no, I, I haven't. I'm not. I'm not good at uh, Shakespeare. I'm terrible at memorizing, and so these, you know, large patches of uh, of, of speech, you know, I, I couldn't do. Uh, really, what I uh, was and uh, what I was interested in and remain interested in is musical theater. Um, I just I love the medium. I love um, I love uh, music and dance and and you know, it was interesting to me to be able to push that that art form to kind of a new level. So it didn't have to be all cheesy tap dancing, you know, while there's a mm-hmm. place for that. Um, I just thought, you know, music moves people, everybody, anybody, right? Like, and why does there have to be this disconnect between the kind of music we hear in the theater and the kind of music we hear on the radio? Um, that's been my mission as uh, as a theater maker you know, just bridging those two gaps, making it feel just as um, uh, just as momentary as you know, popular music is. So you, you know, must how can be, we do that on the stage? So you must be being kind of thrilled with something like Hamilton, right? Because that that that's literally doing exactly what you were kind of trying you're describing there, right? It's kind of bridging that 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 those genres. It, it you know it really does. I mean, that's the the one that everybody knows. But you know, there's really great stuff going on just over the last you know, 10 years where we've gotten more of that, you know, uh, you know, shows like Next to Normal and Fun Home and Dear Evan Hansen. And, you know, there are shows that are that are doing it that are that are finally bridging that gap where mm-hmm. the, the thing you hear on the Broadway album sounds an awful lot like the kind of things you hear on the radio. And so uh, Hamilton's, of course, just the most obvious uh, thing we can point to now. Um, I suppose, again, up front, I am not a massive musical theater fan. Um, <laughs> just, but uh, I, I kind of, um, I have seen little bits, you know, I, but I, I, you know, it's just, uh, I, I think, um, I think it's kind of one of those things you kind of, you, 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 you kind of love and you continuously love, you know? Um, but I think, I it's think a lot to of get people, it it. Yeah, go on, go on. Sorry. I think a lot of people, no, 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 you have no, no apologies necessary. I think a lot of people haven't been given the chance to love it because it hasn't presented something that is appealing to them. And that's bizarre, right? Like you can open the iTunes library and find anything you want, right? If you're really into this, you're gonna find this. If you're really into that, you're gonna find that. Um, Music in particular has become so splintered in in a great way. Um, Now, because it's easier because of the internet to be able to find other people who like the specific thing that you like, right? Mm. 30 years ago, if you were really into death metal, right? And you were just in some little town what are the odds that you found somebody else or 10 other people who were really into death metal? But now you can find those people and you can, you know, have a community of hundreds or thousands or, or millions of people who are really into that one specific thing you're into. So, you know, especially when we talk about musical theater, we, we just think of it in terms of Broadway, the West End, the, you know, that it sounds the way we, we, we think it sounds or mm-hmm. we 
it sounds the way we it should. And I guess kind of what uh, what gets me excited is that it doesn't have to sound that way. It doesn't have to be anything. The you know the I, I think there's a lot of uh, opportunity, a lot of room for for growth. You know, and especially in our in our digitized world, right, where we're all just sitting, especially now, you know, during this pandemic, coming out of this pandemic, we're all stuck in our houses and our apartments, um, more separate than ever. That there's an opportunity um, to collect in a room with a thousand other people and, and share an experience. Um, I think more and more we're going to come out of this thing, and that that's going to be a, a something that we all really we all really cherish. Um, watch if I could talk to you about this all day, but uh, you know, this is. Um, <laughs> So we, we, we really should talk a little bit about marketing, I guess. Um, well, the interesting you know. thing is that this has a lot to do with what I do marketing restaurants because it's, you know, we can't, we haven't been able to go into a theater and share an experience for the past six months. And I liken that. This is, again, where these things, there's such parallels in, in my life and in the work that I do because it's the same thing with restaurants. My job is to help market restaurants and it's the same, uh, they're the same challenges, right? A uh, part of your audience isn't going to feel comfortable coming back into the restaurant, at least until there's a vaccine, maybe. But then there's another host of people that are just dying for that experience, for that shared experience to to taste somebody's food that they didn't prepare. Um, and, and and so the challenge is uh, is similar. I, I I can't help but think it. Um, and it's interesting. I guess the kind of the restaurant restaurants and theater are integrally entwined, basically, right? on a couple of levels. One is the simple fact that most people, when you're going to the theater, you used to get for a meal first. Okay. So there's, there's a, there's, and there's a sequence and you just have to what you do. Two is that, you know, eating at a restaurant should be an experience and it's usually right. It should be a, a sh- almost like a shared experience. Usually it's, it might be with one, one other person, a group of people, the entire restaurant, however that's restaurant set up. So, and we kind of touched on this a little bit last time about the kind of experience you get in the restaurant is the is where they where where the marketing should start you know i mean that's what you because that's what you want to get out to other people it's like it's a great experience to 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 eat here even if the food is no different to anyone else's around the corner it's about that experience um so it's interesting i i, I do have a load of questions to ask but we'll, 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 i'll get onto them the how do you market a shared experience how do you get that out to to that large audience how do you represent that you know this has largely been my challenge over the last four years and it's an uphill battle trying to get uh business owners restaurant owners to see that as something they should primarily focus on i mean restaurant owners are notoriously bad at thinking uh, <laughs> you know thinking uh further out than the next week or the next month um Restaurant owners, uh, for the most part, um, are are often bad at thinking of uh, what they do as a product. They think about the food that they make, and they think about you know how it's good, and people should come here because it's good food. Um, and the the challenge that I've had, uh, and and the thing that I'm really passionate about, is explaining like, okay, uh, we're going to go out on Friday night. Uh, we have any number of choices. Certainly here in New York City, we have thousands and thousands of choices. What kind of experience are you providing, and what kind of um, what kind of experience? Uh, you know, what kind of people are looking for that experience? And and making sure. I mean, this goes back to all that marketing stuff, right? Mm. 
understanding an audience, segmenting the audience, coming up with a target audience, you know, coming up with some identity for your product and, and saying, this is what the product is. You know, car companies do this really great. Clothing companies do this really great. We see, you know, huge companies do this and restaurants are particularly bad at doing this. <laughs> and I, I have this conversation all the time, you know, um, it's funny whenever I'm introduced to new clients and I say, you know, we have some conversation and it, and it, always leads to uh, invariably where I say, well, who's your restaurant for? And invariably they will say some version of, well, it's for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I say, no, no, it's not for everyone. They say, yeah, everyone would have a good time here. I think everyone would like it. That's different. Who this restaurant is for is different than would people enjoy it. And so, you know, and I, I, Tell about this, uh, this, uh, this, I, I always give this example when I was working for uh, a very brief period for this steakhouse. It was a Greek steakhouse here in New York City. Mm -hmm. And that was interesting, right? Have you ever heard of a Greek steakhouse? I haven't, you know? So instead of like, you know, butter sauces and everything, they, they were Greek sauces. They were yogurt based and mm -hmm. they were all different, you know, all different herbs that they were using. It wasn't rosemary and thyme necessarily. It was um, dill and, and, you know, other, other things. And it was, it was a different take on, uh, on a steakhouse uh, in any event. And he was saying, this, this place is for everyone. This place is for everyone. I said, no, it's dark. It's sexy. It's loud. It's expensive. The portions are huge already, right? Like this is not for elderly people because it's too dark. It's too loud. Right. This is for this is a sceny place. You, you've made a, you know, a sceny restaurant. You know, this is a C&B scene kind of place that that's just what you've done. You know, you've got to like Greek food. You know, the New York City has a huge Greek population. And he said, yeah, but I don't want just Greek people here. I said, well, let's start with the Greek people, <laughs> the people who already know these flavors that you're talking about, because they've also never seen a Greek steakhouse. Uh, and he basically like got the idea from uh, in Athens right now, there's this big movement for these Greek style uh, steakhouses, um, really celebrating kind of like the, the mountainous, you know, um, the, the mountainous terrain and, yeah. and kind of the cultures there. Uh, but here in the United States, especially, we just think of Greek food as seafood, right? Like you mm -hmm. go into a Greek restaurant here and it's, you know, fish chilled on ice. And so we, we don't think of it in those terms. I said, so start with the people who already know what you're doing who already love what you're doing, who know those flavors, and just, again, preach to the choir, tell people something that they already believe, and then expand out from there. Uh, but again, it's like if you get an elderly couple coming in to that restaurant, and they aren't expecting loud music and, a dark, and dark lighting, they're not walking out saying anything good about, about your restaurant. They're saying, oh, it's really bad. It's really bad because it was dark and noisy. But See, you don't want that getting spread out there. You want people in there who are going to love it, like to say the same thing, right? Like, oh, yeah, it was really dark and, and, and <laughs> the loud. The music was really loud. It was sexy. You know, it's that they're saying the same descriptors, but it's in a different context through a different lens. So that is the challenge, getting them to understand that each experience is different. So uh, I'm going to equate that to um to the staffing industry as, uh, as you know, the, the business that we work in. So you know, a lot of businesses that we deal with are online only, or if they do have offices, they, they don't have offices that you can walk into off the street. You know, there's no, there's no walk-ins or drop-ins from a candidate or a client. So the, the, the problem they have is how do you take the, that a really good experience and move it online? Or how do you create an online experience? You know, 
Um, and you're right. Well, you mentioned there's lots of other businesses out there, the likes of the big grocery stores, the big retailers. Online experience is what they do. You wouldn't buy from them online if you didn't have that kind of experience. So how do you move um, something that is slightly kind of transactional, slightly um, resented, like uh, recruitment and staffing? Because, you know, businesses, if they could, they probably wouldn't want to use a staffing firm. Or, and candidates, if they had a choice, they probably wouldn't want to go with a staffing firm. They'd rather do it all, all kind of directly. So you've kind of got, you're already facing an uphill battle with a lot of these kind of the, these audiences that we, that, you know, we've already kind of, you've talked about audiences for. So how do you give them a great experience online? Uh, so they either apply or they give you the job order or they just contact you. And it's really difficult. It's really difficult to kind of, you know, it's all around calls to action. It's all around added value. It's all around looking transparent, feeling human, feeling approachable. Um, so I think there are some similarities to kind of how you get people bums on seats in a, in a restaurant. You know, it, it's, um, it's a different sub. You mean you've got physical locations you've got to get people to. But that those touch points start online in a lot of times. You know, you've talked about Instagram, you know, the term Instagrammable basically is built for, for, for food establishments. You've got to have Instagrammable food. The amount, the amount of times now you go into a restaurant I mean, I do it all the time. You sit there and you hold your phone over your plate and go click and you take a vote straight onto Instagram. Um, but what makes you, what makes something Instagrammable? Because, so I'll say, so your question is, you know, how do you, you know, how do you establish this in a digital space? And I think it really begins before that with identifying uh, a clear identity. And this is so much of the work I do saying, who are you and what makes you different? What sets you apart from all the other steakhouses in New York City. Well, the fact that you're a Greek steakhouse, so all the sides, all the appetizers, all the sauces are going to have, you know, a Greek flair to them. That's a key differentiation point, and it's going to turn some people away, and it's going to attract others. So getting really, really clear on exactly who you are and what you're doing, and it's the same thing with, uh, it's the same thing, you know, you're a recruiting agency, a staffing agency is playing middleman yeah. between a company and a candidate, and it's the same advice you give both the candidate and the uh, the employer, right? The employer, what sets you apart from all the other places that a great candidate can go work for? Why should they come here? And you've got to define that. Likewise, right? We've got resumes and we've got resume coaches and resume writers. How do you set yourself apart from the other 20, 30, 50 capable, qualified candidates? What sets you apart? What's the unique perspective? What's the interesting skills that you bring? What's the um, again, the unique experience that you bring to the table. And it's no different. Um, it's no different than with the restaurants. So it starts there. You have to be able to identify it and you have to be willing to say, this is who we are. This is who we're for, right? Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, I mean, in, in recruitment, there's obviously there is, there's three parties involved. You've got the recruiter and you've got the uh, candidate and the, uh, and the client either side. Um, and there's a, there's a piece of marketing for each, you know, they all need to be, all need to know what they want, who they're doing it for. Um, and the best, the best businesses the best recruitment agencies are always niche. You know, they have to be, or niche as, uh, as, as, <laughs> <laughs> as I know, um, it can be uh, kind of like bludgeoned into, um, so 
it's about being that kind of very, very uber specialist, basically. Um, and you go with a certain recruitment agency if you're going to go down that route because you know that they have good contacts with best businesses in, I don't know, finance, banking, whatever else. You know, that's why you go. But they've marketed themselves as being the best business to do that you want to get to. That's why, that's why we would be working with them. Uh, and in your example, the Greek restaurant, you know, if you don't like Greek food, you ain't going there. You know what I mean? It's, not, it's probably, you know, you know what, what, why try to attract people, you know, if they're not into Greek food, if they don't like their Greek food? If they're the kind of person who tries anything, great. Um, you're, you're fine. But again, with a with recruitment agency, you know, they're not going to try and pitch themselves to people outside of the niche that they work in. Uh, and again, the restaurants are exactly the same as that. But it's again, it's understanding that. Um, and then the subtleties to that as well, that I'm sure you would kind of, you'll understand as well, with regards to the tone of the message. Um, you know, the the way that you come across your brand, you know, I mean, all these kinds of things are subtle kind of indicators on why someone should be, you know, handing over their money at the end of the meal because they've had a, you know, have a, had a great meal, had a great steak, you know, but it was all little kind of subtle little kind of treats that you kind of, you need to try and get across. And one of the reasons why I think, you know, these restaurants are in need of your help because that's not what they do. That's not their job. You know? And so, that kind of brings me on to, I'm going to say my first question, really, <laughs> was, was how do you, what's your kind of process for when you work with a business? How do you build out a strategy for Because I think it would be interesting for the audience to hear, to understand if there's the, the similarities or the differences between how we might work with a business. So how, do, how does it work in, in, in your world? Yeah, it's a great question. And we've already kind of talked about the first step. The, the first step of working with any client is identifying, really getting clear on the identity of the place and really understanding what the product is, right? Like a meal here is a product and, and what kind of experience is that? And then figuring out who wants that experience. You know, is this a, is this a date place? Is this a place for a bunch of guys? Is it a place for a bunch of girls? Is this just a bar? Is this a, a quick meal? You know, in every place, um, every place needs that, right? You, you need to figure out your, your niche, exactly, um, exactly what is the experience you're crafting and then who wants that experience. That's the first step. Then you figure out all of the potential ways to communicate that, right? Like, who are the competitors? And then how can you differentiate yourself? And how can you further differentiate yourself? You were talking about Instagrammable uh, things, right? The things that get shot and posted to Instagram are the things that you can't get anywhere else, right? And it doesn't have to be, we can certainly talk about, you know, big, fancy, expensive restaurants, but, you know, the same can be true at, uh, you know, anywhere else. You've got to, you know, this is where it is. It's like, you know, I often talk to, um, I often talk to clients, you know, chefs and restaurant owners. I say, how can we embellish this? How can we make this um, more interesting uh, in its presentation? Because number one, it's going to make the uh, the actual experience, the actual dining experience um, come to life. Because mm -hmm. we're going to put that plate down and it's going to have an interesting presentation. And people are going to, oh, my God, this is so cool. This is so cool. And yeah, then they're going to take a picture of it. And then they're going to post that picture and people are going to say, oh my God, where is that dish? I, I want to go get it. Like, so, you know, building it into um, what you do, I always say this, like, you know, marketing of the thing can't make up for the thing. You can't just put out, you know, great emails and put up a great website and, and curate a good 
Instagram feed that's disconnected from the actual experience. So let's reverse engineer it. Let's build dishes that people want to take pictures of. Because also, let's keep in mind that it's going to get them to focus more on their meal. Then suddenly they're not on their phones. They're not talking about this, that, and the other thing. A plate goes down that looks really dramatic and people stop and go, oh, wow, that's beautiful. <laughs> and then there's more awareness, right? Just on a just on a sensory, um, you know, staying present in the moment in a, in a mindfulness way. It brings your focus, your attention to what you're doing, which is eating and, and, and brings you back to that experience. Oh, we're in a restaurant. We're eating. I ordered this. Look at this. You know, so, uh, you know, just on a, just on that level, it works. So, yeah, on promotion and, and, and getting people to talk about you and repost and share and all that. Yeah, it's a tactic, you know, to put a dramatic looking dish, but also it just makes the, the event more, uh, more interesting. And so that's the, that's the next step is figuring out all the different ways. What are the different touch points? How can we amend the service? How can we, um, how can we build out the menu to help uh, highlight the things that we do well, the, the things that set us apart uh, from other places. With the Greek steakhouse, I said, you know, you got to double down on the Greek. Get rid of the Bernays sauce. Get rid of the Bordelais sauce. I can get that anywhere else. Come up with a Greek version of a Bordelais, a Greek version of a Bernays sauce. Do a yogurt-based sauce, a dill sauce, you know, what, whatever that is. You, know, you got to own Greek and double down on it. And so then I work with them to help, you know, develop the menu and the drinks menu and the, and the, and the wine list and the steps of service. And then, and then once we, you know, figure out the, the product, the experience, right, the, the in-restaurant experience, then we can look at Instagram. Then we can look at our email strategy. Then we can look at our, our website. Then we can, you know, then we can, but that's the last piece. You've got to make sure that the experience is locked in. So you actually go way further than the what would be classed as traditional marketing in that sense. You know, you're coming on board as a, a restaurant consultant, basically at this point. Um, yeah, it's it's all to kind of give uh, with the means to an end that it has a the the, the brand has because, that profile. You know, and you know what? And I didn't start out that way. It started off just doing the promotion side, and the longer I did this, I just wanted to to be. I, I just kept moving closer and closer to the starting line. And I realized, oh no, I got to be at the starting line to really be able to do this work well, because the experience is so indelibly connected to marketing the experience, to promoting the experience. And that's where I take the 18 years of, uh, of restaurant experience and, and put that into, say, listen, I've opened, you know, nine different restaurants for, you know, six Michelin stars all, all together and James Beard award-winning chefs. And the, I've done all that. And so to, to, to disregard all of that knowledge and skills and experience would be doing my clients a great disservice and, and you know, wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't make sense. So we spoke about the fact that it's a very visual um, kind of medium, really, the kind of restaurant biz, um, which is a little different to the recruitment sphere you know it's not very visual at all there's nothing there's nothing really to to share as such um and so in that way it's very much based on other formats so there's a lot of written a lot of copy a lot of research a lot of documentation um it's getting better with the kind of the visual side so now we because it's much more kind of transaction and business like you get a lot of webinars you get kind of any kind of guides and videos and stuff like that but Traditionally, it's not doesn't you know recruitment doesn't work very well on Instagram because there's nothing there's nothing Instagramable <laughs> about it, um, and I'm just wondering if within 
the restaurant biz, whether there is a place for restaurant, like a restaurant blog, does you know, or being a an authority on your market within the restaurant biz, not just you, but a, 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 and a restaurant itself, understanding the market is in and sharing that kind of analysis with with its competitors, with its peers, with its with its diners, or is that just just overkill and just never needed? But where does format come into it, basically? Yeah, well, you know what's really interesting is that you guys have come up with uh, really interesting solutions because you've got a very boring product, right? Like staffing recruitment is like boring. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a documentation and copy and this and that. Um, and so you've had to dress it up and make it and make it sexier, make it mm-hmm. more interesting, make it more compelling. And you've used the tools at your disposal, like videos and webinars and all of this to, um, you know, to, to reach out, to go beyond the screen, to, you know, to, to make it more um, compelling. Interestingly enough, I think, uh, I think that's the next, uh, that's the next frontier for restaurants. I think they are, uh, they are trapped in this place of like, let's make pretty food and take a picture of pretty food and put it up there. And I think the fact that we get to rely on those visuals, uh, we've been really lazy as an industry about exploring other more interesting, uh, more engaging um, tactics out there like video, like, you know, any of any of a number of things um, that other companies uh, are doing. Um, yeah. I, I, so I don't know how to, how to get that unstuck, but uh, it needs to get unstuck. So um, that neatly segues me into into the next question, which was around um, what are the kind of latest trends in you know, restaurant marketing? Where, where where and where do you see it going? You know. So all bets are off moving forward. I mean, this is the the industry is is being decimated right now, certainly in the United States, as our you know, and again now this it's funny when we spoke uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was bad and just starting to get better and, and our numbers were coming down. And now as schools are starting back up again and, you know, universities all over the country are, are back in session, uh, our numbers are spiking again, like, like we're nowhere close to the finish line here. Um, the short answer is that uh, restaurants are, are notoriously bad at marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's why I've seen a need for, for what I do. You know, it's all the same gimmicks and tactics over and over and over again. I think the only way forward um, for restaurants is to better integrate the marketing into the actual experience that now as things are more and more digital, we've got face-to-face time with customers for two hours when they come to enjoy our product. And that's a rare thing, right? Even this, if you put out an hour long podcast, you put it out there, you don't know how people are enjoying it. Are they listening on a commute or when they're at the gym or when they're making dinner? Um, You don't know how they're interacting with this product. Um, And the same is true when people buy clothes or when people, you know, rent a movie or or whatever it is. Um, But restaurants have, we have this unique opportunity um, to guide and and serve throughout throughout that entire experience, and and I try to um, get a lot of my clients to understand what a boon that is. That that other industries would love the instant feedback that we get in the restaurant industry. So, and there are, and there are things that I think 
um, can happen. But um, um, but I think it has to be the future is is tying it into the experience. Um, so on the back of that, within recruitment, there is a big push for things like marketing automation. Okay, so we are a big advocate of HubSpot, other other. CRM, marketing CRMs and marketing automation tools are out there if anybody wants to go check them out. But we're a big kind of advocate that and building in things like email sequencing and, and automatic signups and tracking and things like that. That's quite kind of techie marketing stuff. Does that, is that playing a part in, in the restaurant biz? Is that something that you are kind of, that you're kind of an advocate of to get, to get these businesses using more? So, and this is what I mean, right? These are digital tactics that have been around for, you know, widely used for what ten years at least. Let's yeah. let's be, let's be conservative and say ten years. This is a big part of what I do with my clients, and they look at me like I got three heads <laughs> because they just don't know why they have to put in the effort. And the first client I ever worked with, and I said, you know, you need a welcome sequence, you need, you know, build nurture sequences, and already there aren't good integrations with, uh, with the the um the reservation software so this is the next thing that um that i'm exploring like you know when people join the email list okay i can put together a nurture sequence but what about when somebody books a reservation you know they just get the automatic thing from open table or resi right which are the companies here and uh it says you know thank you your reservation's all set like what a missed opportunity um, and yet, you know, so I also work in the fitness industry and there are all kinds of companies uh, that integrate really, really nicely with the different uh, reservation and POS software over there. So, yes, this is the next um, the, the next frontier uh, because restaurants are just bad at doing it. So, yeah, you know, building an email list, having a blog, you know, communicating steadily with um, with fans, with, with patrons. It, it's what most restaurants don't do. And um, and they should do more of it. And then the further automation, the, you know, when little triggers, you know, little triggers, that, that's mm-hmm. something that I'm specifically looking into. And I'm trying to find a partner um, that can integrate and nobody's got the API integration uh, with these reservation software. So if there's anybody listening, uh, <laughs> get in touch. There, there's an opportunity that, that there should be automations when they book the reservation or a day out from the reservation or later in the evening when they've finished their reservation or a week later to sell other things. And that's kind of what I meant yeah. about selling, you know, uh, integrating the marketing with the actual experience, you know, that there should be an email that, that hits their inbox, you know, five minutes after they leave, because everyone leaves a nice restaurant and gets in a cab and, or they, they start driving home and their spouse is sitting in the passenger seat. Why shouldn't they get an email and say, Oh, the restaurant just emailed me. They wanted to say thank you so much for uh, for joining, and we've got a winemaker series next month. We can give you twenty percent off, you know, your tickets if you book them right now. If you book them tonight, um, it, it does occur to me that there is a real kind of opportunity to take a step change. So I don't know if it's the same over in the states, but at the minute, I mean, we can go eat in restaurants, but a lot of places now have uh, a QR code on the table. You scan the QR code and it takes you to the restaurant menu, basically, whether it's on their website, whether it's a PDF to download. But one, you've got someone's attention because you've got, you've got, they've got their phone in their hand at that point. They're on, they're they're on your collateral, whether that's your website, whether it's made, surely that is a prime opportunity to say, would you like to sign up for our, for our newsletter? Easy enough. Boom. Yes. Yes, I do. Or even at this point, 
oh, I see you've I see you've kind of checked in, or I see you've uh, did you know you can get if, if next time you return you can get twenty percent off. Click here to get your twenty percent off voucher. It just seems obvious, right? This is everybody has their phones in their hand. Everybody does most of their purchasing from their phone. Why would we not put the two together? It was the same thing with um, you know with Wi-Fi in the restaurants. So I say this all the time to restaurant owners too. I say you know they're. I always come to them. I say, here are the 11 ways that I know how to reliably and, um, and politely uh, get people's email address. And one of them is, is like a Wi-Fi code, right? Mm. So I said, do, do you offer Wi-Fi in your restaurant? Well, yes, we do. Is it great? Then let's enable, uh, let's enable a, you know, a lock on it. So they have to put in their email address. You've got to sign up for our communications in order to get the Wi-Fi. It's a transaction. It's just, it's free. And we're just asking for the opportunity to keep in touch with you because you obviously liked us enough to join us this morning for breakfast or for lunch. And so we would just like the opportunity to, to keep in touch and let you know what's going on. Why, why wouldn't you do that? Um, it also, in this kind of, in the post-COVID era where, you know, generally touching stuff is going gonna, is gonna to kind of seem as kind of like a taboo, you know, the fact that you're going to be doing most of it from your phone, you know, I mean, you're going to be ordering, you could even order your food basically from your phone. Now you're not going to do that in your top end restaurants. I get that. I know. I understand that. But the majority, Why not? well, I mean, Hey, you're the one you, you it's up to you to convince them, not me. <laughs> Why not? I mean, listen, all bets are off. And this is, uh, th- these are the conversations I'm having with, with clients now. It's like, like rethink everything. Restaurants have been around for like, what, 200, 250 years, at least in the way that we know them. You know, you come and you look at a menu, you pick something, they make it for you, they bring it to you, and then you pay at the end and then leave. Like that has only been around a couple hundred years and it's gone basically unchanged, right? The biggest kind of shift in that has been uh, with talk reservation system where the high-end restaurants uh, basically sell dinner reservations as tickets. So you buy tickets to dinner. Um, just like you'd buy tickets to the theater or to a concert. And people say, oh, no one's going to do it. No one's going to do it. Why not? The restaurant's covering their bases, covering their their food costs, because no-shows cripple them when they've spent hours and hours and hours, you know, preparing painstakingly, like these these items that have, you know, all this prep. You know, why not? Is it going to work for every restaurant? No. But it'll work for for a bunch, and it's largely borne out that way. It's It's been successful. So, why can't we rethink all of the things that we just took for granted, um, like ordering? Why do we need a waiter? I really mean it. Why do you, I hate waiters? I was a waiter <laughs> for a long time, but I hate waiters because there's that like, am I going to get the the kind of waiter I want tonight, or am I not? Am I going to get kind of the the pushy, talkative one? Are they going to keep interrupting me? Are they going to are they going to try to oversell me? Are they going to be inattentive? Are so many things can go wrong with the experience with, with a waiter, uh, far more than can go right. And uh, if there's a way to cut that out, why not? <laughs> I think there's a lot of waiters in New York at this minute, kind of just about to throw their, whatever device they're listening to this podcast on out of the window. <laughs> it's, you know, but the, the industry has to, you know, reinvent itself in the way that other industries continue to reinvent themselves and the restaurants haven't. And, and I will say this, and this is the conversation I have, with restaurant owners is that, you know, we talked about this in the last podcast, you know, their profit margins at a given restaurant, right? The, the failure rate is 80% for a mm-hmm. new restaurant. 80% of restaurants fail within two years. That's insane. Why would anyone open a restaurant? 
of those 20% of restaurants that actually succeed, uh, most, about 80% of them, only make between 3 to 5% profit. That's a lot of work and crazy odds to make 3 to 5% profit margin, right? Not when most businesses are built with a 15 to 20 to 30% profit margin, right? Or mm -hmm. digital, right? Like yeah. the digital products are built on a 60 to 70% profit margin. There's much less overhead. So if those are the numbers, why would we not dare to rethink them? If we can use kiosks and yeah, okay, so maybe the really high-end restaurants, you're still going to want a waiter because you're going to want that attentive service. You're going to want that hand-holding. But I can imagine a whole bunch of restaurants, if you were just handed an iPad and said, here, press it in, you know, pick what beer you want, press send, and someone will bring it to you in five minutes. Yeah. Why do I need to tell someone to go do that? They're going to go to the computer, to the iPad, and press it, and then they're going to bring it to me. So I'm just cutting out the middleman, which, you know, it's like then I don't have to wait to like flag down the, the waiter. I can literally just reach over, grab it, and click it. Why would I not take advantage of it? It's a better experience for the guest. And the restaurant is going to save all this on labor. If you can go from 10 waiters to four, why would you not do it? Um, and the, the, the excuse that goes around that is that you're going you're to maybe lose a little bit of that personal touch, isn't it? I guess that's, you, you know, people come to a restaurant because they want to they possibly interact with the waiter, the waitress, or have some of that kind of interaction. Um, and the other excuse would be, well, you're just the market's going to be flooded of out of out of work waiters. Um, so, if you no longer have to take care of every table, are you able to take a step back and identify the tables that actually want the waiter, that actually want that kind of experience? Does that free you up because you don't have to go greet every table, take a water order, take a drink order, take the food order, put all those orders into the computer? If you've got 30 tables in a, in a restaurant, you know, can you take a step back when you're not, you know, dealing with the, you know, the minutia, all the little details, can, can you step back and, and can you better serve? Can you provide, you know, higher touch points than just taking an order, putting it into a computer, bringing the food to them? Can, can you find ways to go above and beyond now that you're not, you don't have to spend your time doing all the other things? This is what I'm trying to rethink. I'm trying to make this industry both more profitable, a better experience for the guest, you know, and, and, and changing it in the, in the process for the better. Um, Chip, we are coming to the end of our, of our time together, but you know what? I think maybe you've got some great ideas for the recruitment industry in all honesty. Uh, I think we could have you, I think we could, we could do with you over here to kind of, <laughs> to shake up the, uh, the staffing and recruitment business. Um, as I said at the start, if anybody wants to kind of get in contact with you, all your details will be on the show, on the show notes. If anybody wants yeah. to listen to the uh, the the first podcast in uh, in this little series, then I will the, we'll, we'll include that in the notes as well. I I actually had to listen to it the other day. Um, <laughs> I'm not I'm not a huge fan of listening to my own voice, even though I kind of do it almost for a living now. But do you know what? It was it was it was a good it was a good chat, and it's worth a listen. Um, and uh, for once in a while, I come off quite well, I think. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you came out great. It was a great conversation. Um, so I, 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 everybody, I kind of go over to the, um, the restaurant strategy podcast and also just check out some of the other episodes cause they're, um, they're really useful. Even if you're not into kind of, um, restaurant marketing, there's still some great kind of, uh, great content in there. So Chip, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. Um, I hope at some point in the future we can do this again. Um, and maybe whoever knows, 
in a very far distant future. We might even actually get to meet physically when we can all get on planes again. Uh, I thank you very for, much. I look forward to that. It's been a pleasure being on the show. I'm glad to have these couple of conversations. Cheers, Chip. Thank you. You've been listening to the Marketing Rules Podcast from Think in Circles. Available on all major podcasting platforms, including Apple and Spotify. Just search the Marketing Rules Podcast or visit www.themarketingrules.com. To work with James or Think in Circles, visit www.thinkincircles.com. The Marketing Rules Podcast is a Thinking Circles production.